0: You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 331 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. About two years ago, I participated in a Twitter space arranged by the Perceptions Today podcast called Indigenous Cultures and Plant Healing. And in this Twitter space, I talked about my experiences as well as giving a general outline of indigenous shamanism. The audience participated and chimed in with their own thoughts and or questions. And this all lasted for about four hours. And if you want to hear the full episode split into two parts just head over to perceptionstoday.com. I'll also leave a link in the program notes. But today in this episode I will play an edited version for your listening pleasure that clocks in about one hour and twenty minutes. So there's a lot cut out so if you want to check out the whole thing as I said head over to perceptionstoday.com. And if you can, and if you want to uh, help me in my uh, endeavors, uh, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search National Alchemist uh, on YouTube and you will find it. Uh, follow Twitter, follow Facebook. I'm not really active on Facebook, but follow me on Twitter, uh, Instagram and all those places. Uh, just search uh, Born Alchemist and you'll find me there as well. And now I have a blue check mark. Yes, uh, I am very important. I have a blue check mark on Twitter. Yeah, I paid for it. <laughs> the reason I did that was because I can now post up to one hour long videos, and uh, and there's not much censorship. I can really, you know, post any video I like uh, without having to worry about anything, unlike YouTube. So I really recommend you follow me on Twitter because uh, I can be way more unfiltered over there. Anyway, let's begin. And even though this recording was done two years ago, everything we talk about is timeless. So it doesn't really matter. But uh, let's begin.
1: Welcome to Perception Today. It's UK date 17th of May 2022, Twitter space chat 34. And it's my great pleasure to introduce to you and have a conversation with natural-born alchemist, whose host is Alex. He's joining us to discuss indigenous cultures and also plant medicine as kind of a primer. And Perceptions Today deals in consciousness research in all areas. I am your host, Paul, and your co-host is Ian D.W. Hawkins and also Centered Awareness, our second co-host, will be joining us within possibly an hour's time. And she's known as Melissa due to Australian time hours. I'd like to introduce you to Natural Born Alchemist. And it happens to be, tomorrow will be his eighth year anniversary for his podcast and talking about a range of topics that he enjoys, especially indigenous cultures, plant medicines, psychedelics, consciousness, Philosophy and many others. So it's a warm welcome to Alex.
0: Well, thanks for allowing me to do this. Uh, I've been following or being a part of the Perceptions Today community for a while. And, And as was said, my name is Alex and I'm the host of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. And I've done 300 episodes or more in these last eight years. And you can find it on Spotify and iTunes. I've got a link tree in the Twitter profile for anyone interested. also got a YouTube there. Uh, so in this space, we'll discuss uh, or talk about indigenous cultures and plant uh, medicine, plant healing. And by default, uh, we'll talk about uh, shamanism as well, because that's um, you can't talk about those things without mentioning shamanism, of course. And as was said also, I'm going to talk a bit first, and then we can uh, open for questions or comments or, or discussion. And uh, uh, I enjoy discuss- discussing these uh, topics, uh, even with people who have a different uh, idea about it, so I don't, I'm not afraid to debate. Uh, so uh, let's begin. I thought about starting at the beginning, but not about, not uh, with the big bang or not with uh, Genesis in the Bible there's a famous uh, creation myth from the Kogi people an indigenous group in northern Colombia Kogi means jaguar and the jaguar is a at least in uh, in the Americas uh, a common animal uh, or a popular animal amongst ind- indigenous communities uh, in their uh, uh, cosmology and the reason I bring up this creation myth in the beginning here is because I think it's a good introduction to the topic and it also contains, uh, 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 it sums up the spiritual outlook that I've experienced myself uh, spending time with indigenous communities. So I quote, in the beginning there was nothing, all was darkness, there was nothing at all, only the mother, she was Aluna, she was pure thought without form. She began to think. The mother conceived the world in the darkness. She conceived us as ideas. As we think out a house before we begin to make it real. She spun the thread, spinning us all in the story, creating us in thought. And then came the light and the world was real. I like this one because unlike uh, many of the creation myths we have in our Western culture, this one begins with a mother uh, and with imagination, which I like. So uh, in a sense, we're all indigenous to, uh, to this planet. But when we talk about indigenous cultures, communities and indigenous peoples, we mean that there is a historical continuity, pre-invasion and pre-colonial. So indigenous people consider themselves distinct from other parts of society now prevailing in those territories. So that's the difference. And uh, even if it could be true that we're all descendants of such indigenous communities indirectly or directly uh, Western, I I say Western, I mean like Europe, North America, Australia, or modern life, I guess uh, we have little in common with traditional indigenous communities. So we've chosen to take another path in in history. And, uh, Eventually, if we're not careful and if we don't support indigenous communities to protect their traditions and their culture, they will all eventually um, be swallowed up by progress Um, and often um, not even being aware that what they gain is worth less in the long run than what they lose, because I think we have more to learn from indigenous uh, cultures than what they can learn from us, at least when it concerns things that are important. Um, When you lie on your deathbed and you look back on your life, what's important is things like family, community, art, nature, spirit, those kind of things. Uh, I always speak from direct experience. It's the only truth I have. And uh, there are like almost 400 million indigenous people around the world in more than 90 countries. And they belong to more than 5,000 different indigenous peoples and they speak more than 4,000 languages. So, um, And my experience is with eight of them. So out of uh, 5,000 different groups, I've experienced eight. So it's the Shipibo from the Peruvian Amazon, the Kichwa from the Ecuadorian Amazon, the Fang from Gabon in West Central Africa, The Sami people in the northern parts of Scandinavia and Russia, and the Navajo and Hopi in Arizona, and uh, the Guna in Panama. So, from my own research, I can say there are a lot of similarities between all of them, but let's not pretend um, they're the same. We can call people Europeans, but a Turkish culture is not the same as a Norwegian culture, even if they're both Europeans. They're very different. Please keep this in mind because I, I can't speak for all indigenous communities. There's 5,000 at least. And uh, I can't really even speak for one of them because they can speak for themselves. I, I can only share what I've experienced. So uh, and it's always important to amplify indigenous voices because they're usually silenced. So, so when I say indigenous people or indigenous culture, it's more of an umbrella term, like saying Europeans. So I, I thought that was important to point out uh, so we don't uh, view them all as the same because that would be offensive to them. You know, We don't view, like I said, the Turkish person, person to be a Norwegian person. Um, and uh, shamanism and indigenous peoples are, are connected, of course, and it's hard to speak about one without the other. And um, shamanic practices may be as old as Paleolithic, like the old Stone Age, um, predating all organized religions, and um, we're talking about anything between 10,000 and one million years ago. Uh, and it was uh, this uh, armchair anthropologist, Mircea Eliad, that coined the term shamanism, and he defined it as a technique of religious ecstasy. Um, and shamanism is, is associated with indigenous societies and it uh, encompasses the notion that shamans are mediators or messengers between the human world and the spirit world. And they treat ailments and illnesses. They alleviate traumas. They restore the physical body. And um, they can also enter supernatural realms or dimensions to obtain solutions for the community, like find out when it's going to rain or, uh, or uh, information about Internal drama between the people in the community, and they also battle with other shamans in the supernatural realm. So they cannot. They can also be war, uh, and they they do all this using ecstatic dancing, drumming, uh, plant medicines, psychedelics, fasting, and, and many other techniques. And the term uh, shamanism comes from the Russian words shaman, and um, the root of this word probably means to know, but there's nothing certain about that. And and like indigenous, the term shamanism is, of course, also problematic because it's an umbrella term. Uh, it refers to thousands of different cultures and practices around the world, and they can be very, very different. And you can't uh, uh, really call them all shamanism or call every shaman a shaman because um, they're all different. And uh, I spent time with many different indigenous cultures, but each of them use another term for shaman so uh, and this word can usually be translated as healer Uh, and although uh, the west influences everybody so much or because the west influences everybody so much even the indigenous people have started calling themselves shaman if they're a shaman Uh, but that's not really the the term they use so for instance the bewiti calls the shaman an ganga. The people can call it the kurander Kurandera, curandera uh, and The Sami people call it annoyed. noid. So everyone, but everyone else calls these people shamans. So that's also a bit incorrect. But it's hard to have a discussion about this being so detailed if you don't know the specific terms. So we'll use the term shaman to make it easy. But I, I think it's good if everybody is aware of this. Perhaps a better term for shaman would be medicine man. Uh, but half the shamans I've met have been women. So maybe medicine women, um, but also shamanism might not necessarily always be involved with medicine. So that term is not correct either. So uh, we don't call all religions Christianity. So it does kind of the same thing. Um, personally, I think uh, they're alchemists, but that's another topic for another time. And, um, I study shamanism and shamanic techniques and paths, but I I don't claim to be a shaman because I'm not. And I don't think anybody can call themselves a a shaman unless, and this is my view, unless they've grown up in indigenous culture or, or at least studied under indigenous shaman for many years. And if you've done that, you would also know you're not a shaman because you would be annoyed a curandero and a ganga or whatever word your teacher calls the shaman. Uh, So uh, that's another point I want to make here in the beginning. Um, There is a great debate if real shamanism is with or without psychedelic plants. One view is that shamans that use psychedelic plants have fallen into debauchery and uh, those that do not use it are pure and traditional. Another view is that uh, real shamanism uses psychedelic plants and those that do not have lost their way... And uh, I uh, ascribe to this latter view. Uh, ayahuasca is probably the most famous psychedelic uh, plant medicine used by indigenous people in the Amazon. It's become very popular. Uh, and uh, an ayahuasca or uh, curandera curandero, as they call themselves, they do not only work with ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is only one of many teacher plants. But ayahuasca is usually the one people know about. But um, when you talk to these uh, shamans, you find out that it's only one of many, and it's not even the major one. Um, so within the Shipibo, there's uh, the, the the master plant, the one that's above ayahuasca, is called ayuma, and um, it's uh, it's the most powerful of all the the plant teachers, because a shaman. Uh, uh, at least in the Shipibo tradition, they diet these different plants and they all have different effects. And uh, so to diet uh, uh, a little teacher uh, in a, uh, or a medium teacher, you would uh, consume that part of that tree uh, maybe for a few weeks, make it part of your diet and eventually you will hear it speak to you. But when it concerns this ayahuma tree, uh, the master tree, uh, you could have to diet to complete such a diet, you could have to diet for, for maybe two years. So and that's why it's considered like the master tree, because it's it's more difficult to, to diet. Uh, I think ayahuasca is a spectacular medicine, and, and it's my personal favorite of all the different plant teachers. It's known as La Perge, uh, because it's, it's its ability to uh, offer deep introspection to examine your emotions, uh, change your way of thinking and examine your way of thinking, and also make you purge, (laughs) to vomit, to cry, to having to go to the toilet for number one and two. Um, But the ayahuasca brew is not the only thing. Uh, Equally important is the shaman, the curandero, curandera, singing to you. Uh, Equally important is the mapacho, the tobacco, and many other plants that uh, add to the ayahuasca experience. Uh, And ayahuasca is uh, mostly in the Amazon, um, but then you also have iboga. Uh, Iboga is called Tabernante iboga, and it's like a perennial rainforest shrub Mm -hmm. native to Central Africa. And uh, it's the Puno people, the Mitsogo people, and the Fang people of Gabon and Cameroon that work with this teacher. And uh, the you could say the spiritual discipline or the religion that has grown up around this iboga is called uh, bewiti. Uh, then there's also ibogaine. Most, usually people know more about ibogaine than iboga. And ibogaine is just an extract of the iboga. And it's often used in the West and in retreat centers in Costa Rica. And I think it's a weaker version of the real deal which is the iboga Uh, because the iboga contains more than just ibogaine Um, and this is a tendency the west does Uh, iboga has many different properties that are not psychedelic that that would heal you and it also has ibogaine which is the psychedelic part same with ayahuasca it has the dmt part which is is the psychedelic part but it also has many other properties uh, which is why I don't think the pharma waska version where you remove everything and just keep the psychedelic part, I don't think that, well, it can be good, I guess. I, I won't judge anybody's experience, but I, I I, think the best thing to do is to get the whole plant experience. And then you have the Sami people in northern Scandinavia and Russia. They work with the Amanita muscaria, the fly agaric mushroom, but there's little evidence of this, and the, the Sami people are very secretive and very protective of these traditions, and they will actually, if you talk to them, deny it. Um, but uh, and they even they have even claimed that the last shaman is already dead, died many years ago, and they call their shamans noids. But um, I think they're lying, and it's understandable why they would be lying, considering the harassment and the, the attacks they've had to suffer uh, because of their spiritual beliefs. Uh, in Mexico, there's quite a few. The Mazatecs use mushrooms. Uh, the Wixarica people uh, work with peyote. The Yaqui tribe um, work with the toad. Um, and this toad has a venom that uh, is a, a stronger version of DMT. Um, then you also have like uh, cocoa, tobacco, two things that you normally don't consider to be psychedelic or, or to be things that you would have a, uh, a ceremony around. But uh, when I say tobacco, it's not the tobacco you get in cigarettes. It's a different kind of tobacco. It's a pure, it's tobacco in its pure natural form, and uh, cocoa as well. I think many people know that if you. The reason you bring chocolate to date is because it, it has, uh, it's an aphrodisiac, uh, not very strong. But if you actually eat a lot of pure cocoa beans, this effect is much stronger. Uh, and then you have hape, uh, which is a powerful cleansing snuff used by shamans in Brazil and Peru. And there are count- countless more examples, but these are a few. And uh, I've been to Gabon. In uh, West Central Africa, working with the Biwiti. And uh, I was initiated in a process there that took almost two weeks and eventually baptized into their tribe as uh, Awan in Akudo. So that's my Bwiti name. And um, I've been to the Amazon three times uh, over like 10, 12 years, um, drinking ayahuasca in many ceremonies. And I've also had it in Europe when one of the shamans I knew came, came to Europe, I, I went there. Uh, as for the other indigenous people I've spent time with in Ecuador, in, in Scandinavia, in Panama, and in the United States, uh, I didn't partake in any ritual, uh, but I did uh, um, learn things anyway, because uh, psychedelic plants is not the only thing indigenous communities has to offer. Often is that often is the only thing westerners talk about but there's a a lot of other things that they can offer Um, and um, the topic is huge Um, as you might get I can't condense what either shamanism or indigenous people are or or what their culture is because there are so many branches on that tree but I have seen magic happen in front of my eyes. And I don't mean I had some psychedelic substance in me that caused me, caused me to see this magic. I've seen things sober, as they say. Um, and some, one thing that sometimes annoys me is the, the prevalence of Westerners calling themselves shamanism or appropriating uh, these terms. Because to me, a true shaman uh, lives in nature. They don't visit nature. A true shaman knows the name and properties of thousands of plants. I've met people in the... Sh- I met this older uh, woman, shaman, a Kurandera, and she knew 4,000 plants uh, in her head and what each of those plants w- could be used for. And a true shaman not only meditates, but actually travels interdimensionally, uh, converses with the trees and the plants, um, And uh, there's even uh, in the Amazon something called a Mariah, which is a master shaman that can travel great distances and visit other shamans in other parts of the Amazon. Uh, And a true shaman, they battle and fight other shamans because there is a dark side as well. And uh, when a shaman is in a ceremony uh, in a... uh, What could you call it? When they're in the other side, (laughs) not in this reality, but, you know... uh, Dark shamans uh, use that opportunity to attack, and I've seen such battle take place. Um, and a true shaman is all this and more, uh, and I've never seen these traits when I've encountered a so-called white self-professed shaman in in the US or Europe, but that, that's that's my opinion. Uh, I'm almost done with this little intro. Uh, Before I end, uh, I want to talk a bit about the situation for indigenous people currently, because I think that's important. And they're only like 6%, sometimes 7% of the human race. But indigenous people, they live in 80% of our uh, biodiversity. Meaning that if we would grant indigenous people the power to own uh, our planet's biodiversity all uh, climates would be solved in an instant because uh, indigenous people are at the front line of uh, protecting our planet. And uh, there are multinational corporations, uh, banking institutions, governments uh, that are heavily invested in uh, making a lot of money from these areas with high biodiversity. And the only ones standing in their way are indigenous people. And uh, they've been the indigenous people have become stronger in, in the last 20, 30 years because thanks to the internet, they can reach out more. But before then, um, and they still are, every year uh, indigenous people are murdered and they are harassed. And these governments and corporations do anything they can to, to try and get the indigenous people to get out of the way because they live on land that is very valuable. For instance, in the Amazon, there's a lot of oil and um, uh, I even know uh, there's a a very powerful uh, female uh, medicine woman uh, or a curandera uh, that I've sat in ceremony with. She was uh, murdered by uh, uh, the Shell Corporation. There's no proof, of course, but everybody knows it was them. So uh, this is a very important issue, I think, and... uh, uh, another issue that's important is vampires. Uh, and when Western culture came across indigenous communities, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase now from uh, anthropologist Jeremy Norby, but he, he says it in such a good way. Uh, first, they uh, took took the gold. Uh, then they took uh, people, slaves. And then they took rubber, And now they take oil. And uh, finally, they take knowledge and the teacher plants. So, you know, they steal ayahuasca from the Amazon. They steal iboga from Gabon. They've stolen so much iboga from Gabon to make uh, tourist retreats with ibogaine in Costa Rica that the iboga plant is an endangered species. So if you ever think about doing ibogaine in Costa Rica, make sure you ask, where did you get the iboga from? Is it from a is it is it stolen or have you got it from a proper source that so because iboga is very difficult to grow and so it, it's endangered. And um, so now we the west are vampires uh, stealing uh, the knowledge and the, the plants from the indigenous. So don't be vampires uh, if you gain something from indigenous culture or if you sat in a ceremony and gained something from it, try and uh, return the favor either by allying yourself, promoting their causes, making a donation, whatever you can uh, to to give back and not be a a vampire. Okay, so that's my little speech about this topic. If there are questions regarding sacred plants, the Shipibo, the Fang, Bwiti, or Uh, or any other questions regarding my experiences, because I haven't gone into them at all, really, just a general overview, Uh, or any questions about indigenous peoples, or if you just have a comment or your own experience, uh, I'm happily awaiting your thoughts. Thanks.
1: I have to say that is a great introduction to everything because I've been able to take some notes with this, which I'm just going to check with just spellings and things with you. I've actually been able to put the Kogi information from Wikipedia up there for you, Alex, for the rest of the people to look at as well. I wondered if you could, one, tell me a few spellings. So, Uma, how are you spelling that, as in above ayahuasca? Uh,
0: Well, Uma, I actually m- invented my own spelling because the, per- the, person, <laughs> okay. the person who told me about the Ayuma tree uh, c- can't read or, or write. But I think oh. it's A-Y-H-U-M-A. I think that's what it is. Uh, if you ever seen a picture of the Red Forest, maybe you've seen these trees that are pyramid-shaped at the bottom, and, but they're really tall. So they're like a triangle-shaped at the bottom, and they're really tall. That's a Ayuma tree.
1: I'll try and find some information on that. The connection that you were talking, it's also, when you're talking of spun into existence, it also sounds like Indra's net as well, those kind of variations on a similar theme, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I think so. It's very similar. Um, and um, I know that in the, in the Bewiti tradition in Africa, uh, their creation story is a is the queen of creation. She's called it. It's a giant spider spinning a web.
1: There's a lot on those connections. Ian, do you have any questions before we start opening up the room?
0: Hey Alex, that was just
1: brilliantly done. Thank you for that intro. I felt that covered everything really, really well. And um, yeah, importantly, it is it is very much our responsibility to have some respect for these cultures. And, and not just view them with a mind to harvesting them for everything and then destroying them at the end of the day. Um, yeah, it's appalling the way that we treat people. Willie.
2: Really? Yeah, it's getting more and more diverse. Uh, the, it's been really uh, fun to explore lately. Um, and uh, I was going to say um, permaculture. When I was in Peru um, at this, at this uh, Temple of the, of the Way of Light, um i I spent a couple weeks with um working with the shabipo and and um just was so so very grateful. I'm eternally grateful for getting to spend uh, you know that time with twenty three international strangers um, in the in the Amazon and uh, getting to learn from the shabipo. It was such a gift um, because it's such yeah it was just so special but um, that you know, there's this, uh, term permaculture and I'm just curious what you think about that term natural born alchemist. Uh, like, you know, it, um, it resonates with me in terms of how so many things, so much, so much, uh, you know, information and data is passed down, um, and how it's so interwoven. Uh, and so I'm just curious what, what your thoughts are on how this the cyclic nature of things inter, intertwines with or layers um, with the expansion of of things and the 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 uh, the perspective, you know, the zooming in and zooming out and kind of the fractalized nature of things. I'm curious, just what if um, you have any thoughts on all that? Sorry, I just dropped a lot of a lot of uh, different kind of topics, but if you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear them.
0: Yeah, the permaculture I think is an important tool to to revalidate indigenous knowledge because um, um one problem like this is a, for instance the Shipibo um traditionally when you die uh, you don't inherit anything um uh, because uh, the point, the the idea is that you're gonna build your own house, you're gonna make your own tools, or your own canoe and your own pottery and your own clothes, because you'll have those skills. So why inherit something? Uh, when the person dies, you burn that person and everything they own. I kind of like this concept uh, because unlike in here in the West, we're very obsessed with inheritance. What am I gonna leave behind to my children? Uh, I have children, My, I want to not leave them anything, uh, rather leave them the skills to make their own life. Now, the reason I mentioned this in, term, in because of permaculture is because there's one thing, they they don't burn, they started not burning when a person dies, and it, it's a chainsaw. And the reason for this is because a chainsaw is very handy in the rainforest, uh, it's much quicker to cut down a tree, to build a house, and it's also very valuable cost a lot of money to get a chainsaw, and I see this as a as a, a bad omen because now it's a chainsaw, then there's something else, and then f- after a while they just be hoarding all this stuff like we do, and and uh, that's why I think permaculture is good because they uh, they they don't they can't live traditionally. Yeah. Some of the groups that live far in the Amazon they don't have any connection. Uh, they can but many of them live with one foot in the modern world and one foot in the traditional world. And the modern world pulls stronger. So permaculture and introducing or, or aiding indigenous communities to work with permaculture makes, makes, uh, them, makes it stronger to pull back in the traditional direction. And of course, an indigenous person can choose. I mean, nobody's going to force an indigenous person if they, if they want to live a modern life, they can. But often, what at least um, in the studies I've read is that often indigenous people might abandon their uh, traditional culture uh, around the time they're 18, 20, and then return when they're older, often realizing that it was better where they came from. Right. Zoom, how are you doing?
3: Good evening. Thanks.
0: Um...
4: Wow, we've got so many where do I start? Um <laughs> I guess on the uh the film name dropping front, have has anybody seen Embrace the Serpent? And um natural I was wondering what, what you thought of. It. I didn't really read up on it after. I get the, the general idea. Didn't really decrypt the, the ending as such.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, a great film. Uh and it documents is this guy called it was this guy called Dr. Richard Evans Schulte's, I think his name was. He was the person, who he went to the Amazon, I can't remember when, but it was like maybe almost 80 years ago or something like that. I don't know what year, but long time ago. He went to the Amazon and discovered ayahuasca. He brought it back, uh, I mean that he discovered it, the information, which led to uh, William Burroughs, the author, uh, going down there uh, because he wanted to try every drug there is. He wrote about it in the AI letters. Is, I was, he can also be called Yai or Yage, and um, it was this book that uh, Dennis and Terence McKenna read, and that's why they went down there. And they were the ones who even, or they were the ones who eventually popularized it, and that's the reason Westerners go to the Amazon, I think. And but this "Embrace the Serpent" is about the original guy who went there and discovered it Um, even though it's it's, um, uh, it's not I don't think they actually call him by that name but it's inspired by that event. Oh I want to say another thing which I think is very interesting Ayahuasca, it was about 30 years ago or 40 years ago it started to become known in the west and in the last 20 years become known a lot and most people that go to the Amazon and experience ayahuasca, they usually become more environmentally aware afterwards. And I know a lot of people who now work, and myself included, work in jobs that tries to uh, uh, protect biodiversity from multinational corporations. And my view is that because ayahuasca and these plants are intelligent, it's a very clever move that it made. Uh, So it basically uh, injected itself into Western culture as a way to say like, can you help out?
1: Definitely it's very much an impressive way of being a bacteria that reproduces (laughs) to make sure it continues and other people get to know about it. The one of the things I was going to say to you, if I've got the right person, I've just put the embrace the serpent up in the shared section, the IMDB to the actual film if i'm correct one of his students was mark i'm going to get this right pluck who's phd and he's actually got so much wealth of helping out indigenous cultures by raising money and doing it you don't really hear much about him promoting it because he doesn't spend the money on the promotional side he spends it on the actual indigenous cultures but one of his podcasts is called plants of the gods and it's a fantastic one and it tells of his experience of learning through, I've forgotten the guy's name. Alex, who was the first guy's name? If I've got the right person all connected,
0: Richard, Richard Evans Schultes.
1: Yeah. So that's the one. So it is the right connection point. So that's great. Now, you wouldn't believe that this is an auspicious day because it happens to be one day away from the eight year anniversary of Alex doing his podcast. Tomorrow is his eight year anniversary.
5: Oh, get out! Congratulations, happy anniversary, Alex. It's good to have you back.
1: So now we're going to go in for willow.
2: When we talk about working with uh, plant medicine, um, it really is the Shabipo taught me that um, it's actually we the words we use to, um, the, to our choice of words when talking about uh, those experiences. Is important because it it informs the relationship that we build with the plant, that the the spirit of the plant and the 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 guide and the wisdom that they're imparting um, as a gift to us. And um, so I I, I think uh, we work with so there's a there's kind of this of um, mutual a shared respect that you know when we say we take drugs or we take ayahuasca or we um, you know, we, we take, I took mushrooms. Um, Those are, those are words of extraction and non-reciprocity and, um, and those are, you know, hierarchical structure that are stratified. Those words fall into those, you know, uh, that energetic uh, resonance. That's the type that they are. So I think it's just uh, of my, I, I was taught and Um, And I'm really grateful for the lesson because it's been coming back around a lot more recently for me, uh, the remembering of this um, and the real the realizations uh, regarding the how the word is passed and the importance of passing it with um, passing the word, you know, passing words from one person to another and from one time to another with uh, the highest regard. Uh, for, for sanctity and integrity of the, the data and information that is actually being uh, transmuted and transformed and, and passed on, uh, but hopefully not missed. And uh, one of those is I often think about um, the word mother, that if you, um, if you were to spell mother M-A rather than M-O, were to spell it M-A-T-H-E-R, that it would actually, um, with certain uh, script types, it would, uh, depending on the scribe and the choice of font, uh, it could maybe look like ma- Matter, M-A-T-T-E-R. m a t t e r. Uh, that's just one, one that I've been liking lately.
1: Yes, it could work the same way, which is interesting. Thanks for the definitions. Thank you for the new people that are turning up. If you haven't been here before, please check out the guidelines which are shared in above and hello artisan of the spirit nice to see you shadow fox hope you're doing well and we got zoom who's up next with another question from his list of questions he's been compiling
2: okay um i word this um i was wondering what your personal
4: perhaps the shaman immunity itself um sees in this apparent push to alter uh, genetic not only in humans but in plants um, the thing that comes to mind initially is, is the marijuana industry and how that's been, uh, boosted to such an extreme. Um, and it obviously offers solution and help to people. But how is the spirit affected by the population?
0: Well, in a sense, like uh, carrots are not originally orange. So plants have always been manipulated. But when we talk about psychedelics and manipulation, I think it's a bit worse uh, because... And I, I used to be a uh, I used to be an ally with the organization Maps. I'm not anymore uh, because I don't like a few of the things they're doing, uh, and uh, I, I I think there I have a big issue with uh, this uh, wholesome Western therapy styled psychedelic healing session endeavor that they're trying to make uh, make a big thing i think you i think it should be done in nature with the right set and setting not on a couch in a white room with some guy with a clipboard Uh, and and, uh, so i think that's important to not go down that route Uh, also this pharma wasco pharma delic thing that is becoming a a big thing where they basically i mentioned it a bit before where instead of having people take iboga, they extract it and take the easier version called ibogaine. Instead of um, drinking ayahuasca, MAPS is trying to make it into like a pill where you only get the effect, you don't get the nausea. Um, I can't remember the Spanish word for it now. mariado, mariad I think, something like mm-hmm. that. Because well, when you drink ayahuasca, you, you feel almost like you're seasick. It can be a bit of an unsettling feeling. So they are trying to remove all these struggles that you can have with, with these plants. And um, so you weaken them. A good example with ayahuasca is that there are tribes that, do, that only drink ayahuasca. They don't drink the ayahuasca that includes the DMT, which has the psychedelic effects, the fireworks. They only drink the, the one part of the ayahuasca. And that's, it's also called ayahuasca. It's not called chacruna or it's not called DMT tea. It's called ayahuasca. The DMT is just an added, like, for a bit of fireworks. It's not the essence of the drink. It's the ayahuasca, and um, so I, uh, uh, I think we have to be careful with this psychedelic industrialization, where you make it into like a pill. I don't like the buying stock in psychedelics. I don't like that it's made into a product. Uh, I uh, kind of long for the time when it was more of a secret, in a sense, uh, which is why I, I un- do understand, I don't know if anybody knows about Eleusinian mysteries, where every Greek uh, in ancient Greece, uh, once a year, or no, once in their lifetime, they went and took something, we don't know what it is, and uh, it was a secret. Um, uh, it will, If you need sacred plant medicines, it will find you. Um, so, but I'm not sure I want to go to a doctor and I tell them my problems and they go, well, maybe you should take this pill. You know, I don't know. Um, I don't think it's good. I'm, I'm, well, let me say like this, I'm reserved on the whole matter.
1: One of the ways of pronouncing the word that you're looking for in Spanish, which is going to be butchered by me is morado. That's seasick, which is, I've just looked up.
6: Yeah, I figured I'd also uh, contribute an answer what Zoom was asking. Um, And uh, part of it is that when these are in use, they're not being used to try and get a a trip show or psychedelics uh, and, and whatnot. They're used to activate, deactivate certain functions that already exist within the body and the nervous system to help improve our perceptions. Uh, You know, uh, we're not, uh, don't think of it so much as a uh, magic spell, so much as a set of binoculars that helps you tune out uh, the distractions aside from what it is you're trying to focus on. It amplifies that as well. And one of the things it helps most to identify is one's consciousness. Uh, and as, uh, as cheesy as that may sound to a lot of Westerners, uh, there are not a lot of ways in Western science to try and measure and study consciousness versus indigenous science. Consciousness has been studied for a very, very long the assistance of uh, natural environments uh, surrounding us. Then I suppose, lastly, is this also touches a critical problem that Narvi and others have raised: is that uh, these processes that you know might result in a drug and a pill are part of a very much larger experience and way of living, uh, as well as medicine and collaboration and cooperations that are not replicated uh, through these systems as well. And these are the intellectual property of the tribes. And that's also why a lot of these tribes are very reluctant to share their knowledge nowadays in the same way that Lockheed Martin or Boeing would... Be uh, hesitant to just divulge all their technical secrets about aircraft and and so forth. So, uh, I, I hope that helps to explain uh, some of hesitation on the part of shamans and the larger issues. In getting more than just a pill whole experience, and with that, I'll pass them on. Well, I
2: oh, I'm so glad I waited. Uh, look at what you did there, um, because yeah, the part the part that I forgot to, to share was that. Um, I, too, felt I, too, very much was called to uh, work with ayahuasca. It was a calling, quite literally, like a picture of a Peruvian woman that said healing, holding, holy on it just appeared on a table outside my classroom one day. And I, I just can't imagine that uh, many f- five or six or seven year olds that I taught were uh, taken at that Going to the copier machine, printing it off, and uh, putting it right there. <laughs> but who who knows? You know, I don't know what is cap what the world is capable of. Uh, but I do know that it was certainly a very strong calling, and there were lots of signs. And i I was nervous. I almost didn't go, um, and I was really. I, you know, I spent hours filling out this application, you know, because it was done with the, the place I went was, um, uh, it was very thorough in the preparation. And I think, and I think that that's actually, um, to, to Natural Born Alchemist's point, that's really important. Uh, there's a lot of folks who will, you know, you go to a certain place and, um, and they'll, you know, say, Oh yeah, you can just, yeah, you can, you know, few days you can diet done. Um, but it really is like a sign of a mutual kind of working together and the integration
7: of that. It's part of the integration. Uh, I think. Krista. Uh, I think that it's important to honor the plant itself, especially when you're using a plant to get to a, uh, a higher consciousness, you are moving away from your physical body into your spiritual body and to tie that up and tangle it with a financial anchor, um, especially if it's not a part of your tradition, a part of your own, you know, uh, when you were talking about vampires or extraction, I mean, if you, if you start to tangle up that, um, spiritual journey with a, with a monetary anchor, I think that it's, it, it's just disingenuous to the plant itself. I mean, you can have spiritual experiences with lots of different plants um, that aren't particular to consciousness. But when you start to introduce uh, money motivator for people, especially outside of a traditional culture that uses that, you know, indigenous uh, wild plant for consciousness, you know, journeying. That's a a big mouthful. But I just wanted to echo that. I think we have to be very careful about you know, yes, not pushing legalization because it's just going to unfold into people that are only motivated by money, then taking over control of something that is really trying to bring us outside of the physical reality into uh, uh, your more spiritual body. I just wanted to echo that. So thanks.
1: No, that is all valid and really just fits in with everything else which is being talked about. But Melissa, it's up to you next.
5: (laughs) Well, my question is to Alex. Um, to ask if you could think back your very the very first time you decided that you were going to try ayahuasca because lately I've been to trying ayahuasca for this time and I think it has a lot to do with uh, it was back five six years ago now when I was meditating I saw a Native uh, American chief and he was speaking to me but I couldn't actually hear what he was saying in this meditation and um, then. Years later, I went to a, a spirit mind body festival and there was an artist there and she was drawing spirit guides. And she said, Do you have a few come through? Who would you like me to draw? And I said, can you draw me my main guide? Who's the strongest one? And she drew a Native uh, American and, <clears throat> pardon me. And then just recently I went, I think it was late last year or early this year, I can't remember now, but I went to a, a psychic medium and she said, that someone was come through and she said it smelt like cigar smoke and she described this native american indian chief to a t to the way i saw him in my meditation so to me i truly believe that in guide and i feel as if my influence to try awasca coming from him for whatever reason so i have been thinking a lot about asuka so i wanted to ask for someone who's never tried this before if you could think back to the very very first time that you ever tried it what was your preparation how did you prepare yourself spiritually and what was what can one possibly like what could one prepare to experience when they try it when they take it
0: yes and thanks for the question basically um, uh, i was on a lifelong journey trying to find <clears throat> the holy grail and uh, I went to the Amazon the first time uh, more as a scientist or as a researcher. And when I stumbled upon this ayahuasca in my research, I instantly knew I had to, to try it and investigate what it was. And uh, of course, I, I had no idea what, you know, I, I read it was a healing plant on that, but I, you know, <clears throat> I didn't need to be healed. So that wasn't why I was going. Uh, but I did find out when I took the ayahuasca that I indeed needed to be healed. I just wasn't aware of it. So I didn't go the first time. It wasn't spiritual for me. It, well, it was spiritual, but it wasn't really why I was going. It was more like I, I was uh, an anthropologist or something like that. Uh, so, I, But I did prepare and I, I did read what you should do and all, th- all that stuff. But I can say that this, before I went the second time, uh, my preparations and all that was way more intense because now I knew what I was dealing with because I did I I actually did find the Holy Grail so I did achieve my life goal in a sense but um, so in, in, but I know what you mean when you ask the question and I think uh, what you should do is that if it calls you you should answer uh, I uh, I've I've uh, gone to the Amazon. Three times, and uh, it's been many years in between those times. And I only go when it calls me. And right now, I'm on my longest stretch of time, uh, not having gone there, and it still hasn't called me. And I so, but when it does, I'll have to go, uh, and it might never call again. Uh, and it, it might sound weird, this I can't really explain it. And your story about um, this seeing this teacher or calling you uh I fully believe, because I exactly know what you're talking about, can be, uh, can sound weird uh, if you haven't experienced it. But, uh, and this is why also to go back to what we talked about before about ayahuasca in a pill is not the same. Because uh, I remember one time before I went to the Amazon, the very moment I, I bought my airplane ticket, because I always buy the airplane ticket as soon as possible because it's cheaper, you know. And so there was like 3 4 months before I actually had to go to the Amazon but the moment I bought my uh, airplane ticket uh, the ceremony began and uh, and uh, and I so the the preparation begins at that moment you decide to go so for you if, if you're thinking about it it's, it's already started uh, and I really suggest I mean I know uh, they they say you have to do this ayahuasca diet and follow a certain procedure. And I've noticed in the last 10 years that the length of time they suggest gets slower and lower because they know Westerners don't have the patience and they want customers. <laughs> and especially the retreat centers, if you go to one of them. Uh, so they some of them only say a week. But I, I really suggest you should actually do it for at least two months. You should follow this diet with the ayahuasca, which is you... Lim- no, no added salt, sugar, no orgasm, uh, and all these other things. You can find it on- online. All Because the- it's meats and fats as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, meats and fats. And the thing is, uh, it's not the fact that it won't work if you have an orgasm. It's, it, that's not the point. The point is that if you uh, dedicate yourself to not doing all these things for a month or two months, you are... Uh, you are in a sense training or you're like you're, you have to every day think about it. So you are preparing. And so for the the longest stretch of time you do this and no drugs and or anything, no, no weed, nothing, no alcohol. And so when you actually do the ceremony, it will, uh, it will be greater. Um, and also after, when you come home, uh, you should keep that diet going for, for at least a month or, or longer or, or forever. I know some people who keep doing it forever, but that's uh, voluntary. But you should definitely not like after a week when you come home just start dr- drinking and smoking weed and having sex with lots of people. <laughs> then uh, you can actually can actually be a disaster. That's my recommendation. Uh, so it's like, like
5: the fasting then, because a lot of the ancients before d- before it, um, contributing into any spiritual ceremonies, they used to fast. Hmm.
0: It's kind of like a fast, but and also yeah. they. In, in Gabon, they have a, an interesting preparation thing where you—they actually pour—it's kind of like pouring lemon juice into your eyes to make your eyes uh, wider. They do this this for days before, It kind of hurts, but to make your eyes being able to see even more. So, as many, all the different cultures have different techniques. But um, the ayahuasca diet—if you find it online—it's. Uh, uh, it's very effective, I think, and I, I don't think people follow it enough. They should do it for as uh, as hardcore as they possibly can.
1: Yeah, it's definitely the way to, yeah, because it's not something you go into lightly with all the bits and pieces. You do need the preparation. You don't need to have a quick in through a revolving door and then back out again.
8: Um, but if you just have one brief moment, because there's something that Lee Two Hawks would definitely just like to share on sound, if that's okay,
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you two are basically symbiotic, so I take you as one
3: when you put your hand up.
8: Okay. Well, here, here's the two and he's something from like ceremony, so.
3: Okay. What I would like to do is briefly uh, sing. Uh, this is the pipe song. It's honoring the pipe. And we, Shadow Fox or myself, smoke pipe. It's for the globe, it's not for us, it's for all humankind. This is the song we give for. Honoring the pipe, and in- well in lodge or any time, right? Doesn't You're matter. okay that being recorded, yeah, because it is going to be yeah. recorded. Yeah, yeah, cool. that's perfectly fine. <laughs>
8: Um, and this is from part of our culture uh, shared with you. Thank you. Most
1: definitely appreciate it. It does touch and obviously it makes your hairs on your skin kind of stand up.
8: Yes, and that's the part of, of connecting and grounding and, and honoring. And honoring, It has a whole bunch to do with all of it. So thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Quick question for you, Lee. I presume everything you learn in the way that you sing, you learn by repetition from somebody else.
3: That is, that is accurate. I, I added my own monochrome because when we send out a prayer or a message through song... We have to give voice to it in a manner of which we hope I'll be answered. We have to be authentic. So if there's tears in the voice,
1: that means... Oh, so you mean the passion has got to be there. The it can't passion. just be Absolutely.
3: a mimic. Absolutely. Got you. There was a gentleman that we were playing drum with, and he didn't know he was going tap, tap, tap. I took the drum from him. I said, listen, if you're going to pray, if this is what you're going to do... The drum is not going to be heard if you go bang, bang, bang. It'll hear it more clearly than if you go 10. It's yeah. so
1: an this extension
8: is we, of ourselves. This is what we extend to the
1: And this is one of the things that a few of us in here, like Ian and also a few of my other friends, when we talk about people that we listen to who are making music, you can hear people who are just doing it by rote and they've got no passion in it and they're doing it for the money. Then you hear the people that have gone either through their own traumas, through their own lyrics, or they actually do put the emotion into it, and you go, wow, they stand out about it, and it is just amazing how it makes you feel. And yeah. same with musical instrument play, as you say.
8: See, and this is one of the sacred songs that the moment I hear it, no matter what I'm doing, it is, I mean, it just, I'm there. I'm immediately there. I, my, the frequency, the vibration, the rhythm of it all puts me into that place immediately. And, and again, this is why, you know, Lee Tuhok had asked if he could share this with you.
1: No, I feel honoured that we have this put into our recording for our podcast and also that people here can actually hear these things. I mean, Rien, as you heard, is also the 400 Drums are bringing a kind of archive for songs and musical instruments all being put together as well so that people won't lose the traditions, which I think is amazing. Forward with your question to Alex.
0: Um, yeah, I was just wondering if you could um just enlighten us a little bit on your personal experiences with the um plants and the shamanism. Uh, sh- sure, <clears throat> there's a lot that can be said. I'm aware that some people here have probably done psychedelics, and, and it might not be that fun to have like trip reports. I mean, we could do space like that at some point, but uh, there are some interesting aspects of, of these uh, shamanistic ceremonies I've taken. Uh, or been a part of. And uh, when it comes to the ayahuasca, something I often think when I read or articles about it or people talk about it is they, they don't mention so much uh, the plant teachers, which is something I didn't expect myself. Uh, it was a surprise to me first time I did it. But they're actually, the plant teachers are actually there. So the, the shaman or the curandera ayahuasca or, or ayahuasca uh, they are mediators so they are not the ones that it's not a shaman and uh, that's healing you or working on you it's the plant uh, doctors or plant teachers uh they they have both names uh and these like doctors you can see them uh, standing over uh, your own or others bodies like almost like doing surgery or or sometimes sitting on the shoulders of the shamans or, or standing next to them uh, walking around uh, working on people so it's like being in a hospital full of doctors uh, and I've seen this many times and uh, and I'm not the only one it's a very common feature uh, and I think it, it's uh, it's extremely fascinating and uh, these uh, doctors these plant doctors they um, uh, they move through space and time. Uh, which makes them not an hallucination, because if you see a hallucination and uh, you see it and you look away and then you look back, the hallucination uh, will not have it won't move. But these doctors, if they if they walk towards you and you look away and you look back, they've traversed space and time. They're closer because they they've kept walking when you were not looking. I think this is extremely fascinating and. Uh, has been a very profound experience making it, it makes it re, very real. And, uh, and uh, so that's one aspect uh, I think I want to share. Uh, when it comes to ayahuasca, and I guess iboga as well, and, um, is that there are like 10 traditional experiences you can have. Um, and I've had most of them, like one is like the death experience, uh, which is the best experience. Uh, fear and going through hell is, uh, I think, the best uh, challenge or the most challenging uh, experiences you can have. But it's also they're, they're also the most healing. And uh, I think they're they're not fun when you're having them, but uh, they are the the ones I learn the most from. And I'd like you, to ask you a question. Yeah,
1: you talk about the death ones so. are the best ones to have when you answer the reason i've asked this is because we've heard from many other people and it might have been you went there at the end of last week's one when we kind of amassed a bit of information about people talking about these experiences so i'd like your answer then i'll give you the information that we collated last week why do you say the death ones are the best ones
0: because they um, uh, well because you die and, uh, you realize, uh, your life is finished and, uh, it brings, it's like a near death death experience, but it's, it's in a safe environment. You don't have to be, go through a car crash or something like that. Uh, cause I understand that people have had those can have similar life-changing, uh, um, ideas or life-changing uh, situations. So it's like you, you die and you, you, um, it's really hard to explain. It's like, you know, it's like dying, but uh, you're still alive. So when you come back, you you can change your life for the better. It's like a huge slap in the face, I guess,
1: is the best way. Okay, so it's a different angle from the people that we were talking to. And again, we've got a few of them in the actual room. And they basically said that once they were taken to the next, well, again, words don't fit correctly, to the next realm, they didn't want to come back at all because they it was such a more intense and emotional kind of environment and then when they came back it was kind of like they were home in that place where here is a completely different environment which is kind of harsh compared to the other place
0: that's oh, I see what we had what you're saying. wasn't it
1: ian yeah,
0: yeah, dude, it was. I see what you're saying. Well, I would say that uh, <clears throat> when you're going to the psychedelic realm, especially the ayahuasca realm, it feels like home. So, it, you know, um, it's a nice place to go to. But um, uh, I'm, when I'm saying the death experience, I mean the actual, the actual uh, dying bit like, oh no, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm going to die now. Like, it's not the afterlife experience, I, I mean, I mean the actual experience of dying and i'm not talking about like if you have a near-death experience and you let's say you go to heaven or whatever and you have that experience i don't mean that i just mean the actual death
1: yes yeah, so it's gonna be difficult for people who haven't experienced it to really kind of get a grip onto so yeah it's uh, a fascinating and- one to try and convey
0: and also the where you morph and you. You transform into something else. You're not yourself anymore. It can also be a, a very good experience. But frankly, the you can have uh, experiences on on ayahuasca and ayahuasca where it's not really visual. Uh, it can be a life review where where you just go through your memories, uh, your whole life. So uh, it doesn't have to be the fireworks, you know, to be to be healing. It can also be those kinds of things. Oh, definitely, Shadow Fox, you've
1: got. Contribution
8: yeah, because I just like to make a mention of what um uh, he's speaking about is that death experience okay doesn't we're not speaking about going to the other realm the actual experience thereof because most i mean think about it what is people's greatest fear it they fear death, and then when we when people utilize um the tools at hand, such as the plant medicine. It can give us that um, uh, experience without literally experiencing it, and this is where it can be our greatest teachers. This is what he's speaking about: is that formation? Because once we face that fear, and which is one of the biggest ones, what do we have to fear? And this is where um, the, uh, plant medicine can be an, you know, an asset to everyone. And it, it this is where what I was speaking about also is it creates that um, kind of like that common bond that now we can speak on it. We can share that experience like, oh my gosh, this is what I did. And I, you know, experienced death and, you know, it's guess what? It's not as bad as everybody says, it is, or we think about it, or we fear it. It's like death. Where is thy? And so, it, it allows us to live life more harmoniously. Without, you know, I'm not going to go jump out of a perfectly good airplane because I could die. All right, we are we are allowing ourselves that freedom because fear is what limits us. So I just had to say that. Sorry. <laughs>
1: No, I mean, that's all right, because you're also shaking off the priorities of this kind of existence as well, from what you're saying to going back to a more basic yes thought yes. and feeling rather than thinking about how many socks you're wearing.
8: Yes, exactly. and And it's like, and these were the things that my guide sh- showed me, and yes, I've had two near-death experiences, but mine were were different than um me like saying, "Oh, I'd like to stay here." Um, mine was very, very different within that realm. Um, yes, there are no words for expression and there's many people that do express it very, very well, but I signed up to come back to do and to give a message to the world. And so it was like, I knew that there was a duty, there was a a purpose for this being shown to me. And so, um, I just raised my hand and said, this one will. it was like an obligation. And so therefore, being in that realm, it was like sometimes so many people are just overwhelmed with the sense of, if it's a good trip, so to speak, of love. And there's others that are totally terrified. And so, again, it's like there are no words for expression. There just are not.
1: Oh, definitely. I know we got a question from Zoom, and then obviously, Alex, are you responding to Shadow Fox?
0: Yeah, I just wanted. To, uh, well put. I just wanted to add that uh, concerning death, my belief, and from what I've heard others say as well, is that uh, there is no break in consciousness ever. It, it is. It is uh, forever, and uh, so. Uh, there's no stress about it because you're not going to like, not everything's not going to go black and then you wake up in some other world. There's no break; it's continuous, and I think that's uh, both uh, interesting and freaky in a way. But...
1: Oh, definitely, especially some of the accidents I've had and the way that I've had visions and oh, visions information of what i was going through when i could see my body elsewhere and i had no actual physical eyes to see it with that was kind of peculiar so that kind of gave me a clue that there's something completely different going on so zoom it was fascinating to learn that specific spirit animals come up during jag the
6: snake present and then you started talking sort of plant teachers which fascinating it sounded a lot like some people seem to experience like dmt beings of astral style. Yeah, I was just wondering about your thoughts on this and, and how, how much of a crossover there is between us.
0: Well <clears throat> um, comparing first of all, comparing ayahuasca with DMT, I would say there's a lot of similarities, but I think the ayahuasca is warmer. It feel it's the DMT is I guess you could a good allegory would be DMT is like a modern superhero film with CGI whereas Ayahuasca is more an old school superhero film where they don't use CGI, where they use practical effects uh, it feels more um, uh, plastic I guess the Ayahuasca is, 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 feels more alive, I don't know but I, I, I don't say one is better or is bad or anything, it's just that that's just the sense I get from it but I I, I like both uh, the only thing I don't like well, it's probably it's pretty good, it's is quick and short because it can be quite intense. But what I like with ayahuasca is that it takes, it's slower also. You can process everything easier. The DMT is so fast, you're getting hit by a train. So I I do prefer the ayahuasca, but uh, uh, sometimes I take a dive into the DMT. Uh, When it comes to the spirit animals, with ayahuasca, it's, it's mainly the anaconda. Which, and, uh, and also serpents. And they, uh, what I've been told, they represent ayahuasca. So for instance, if you, if you uh, get a lot of snakes going into you or something like that, the shaman usually thinks that you should drink more uh, because the ayahuasca is trying to get into you more, so you should drink more. Uh, I have haven't never seen uh, serpents or snakes or anacondas in any ayahuasca ceremony. So the animal I've seen the most has been the jaguar. And uh, the interesting thing for me has always has been also that I started seeing the jaguar before I drank ayahuasca. Uh, I was already in the Amazon and it came to me in, in very vivid, you know, the kind of dream you have where you think you've woken up, but you're still asleep. Uh, in those kinds of dreams, the jaguar entered my hut uh and then I it also came back during the ceremony. This is what, going back to what I said earlier, where I think the, the ayahuasca ceremony starts way before you actually drink it, which is sounds weird, but it's what it's like. Uh with the Iboga it was more um, uh realistic where you uh, meet ancestors, more human human figures and uh, other kinds of animals like for instance, like lions and elephants, and it's very like African in a sense. Uh, But, um, yeah, um, it's a very crowded place, both the iboga and ayahuasca. uh, I think more so than mushrooms. Uh, It's extremely crowded with with, uh, entities of all sorts. And some of them can also not be benign, you know. Uh, But I have a trick I learned from a shaman where if if I encounter a being and I become afraid, uh, I, I ask if it's the medicine, and if it doesn't go away, it is the medicine, so I don't have to fear it. I've always used that trick. But I remember one time I asked a being, it was like kind of like a very scary looking being, I asked if it was the medicine, and it, it started to walk away from me. Uh, so I realized it wasn't the medicine, it was like a, a bad entity. And so when it was walking away, I kind of taunted it, like, yeah, 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 get out of here, I'll use that.
1: Excellent,
4: sorry. Eric, Uh, I just want to say hi to everyone in the group and thank you for this space uh, to the host and the co-host. And I follow a few of you already. Um, And hi Shaman, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, from Shaman uh, speaker Shaman Safford and uh, Myron at the end. I'm fascinated with uh, shamanism, and it's only been in the in the last um, month or two. And uh, you know, you know, there's a saying: um, if you well, saying I heard from somebody else: if you if you hear uh, hear something from three different people. You should kind of pursue that thing. And for me, that's uh, shamanism, Uh, kind of, you know, out of the blue for me. Um, I'm in Canada, um, central Canada, where, uh, you know, there are uh, strong Indigenous presence, And uh, I've never, I've never, you know, really come into contact with too many Indigenous uh, people up until maybe adulthood. Um, And now this, this kind of subject has come across uh, kind of my life. And and so I'm fascinated by it. And and I'm definitely going to check out Alex's podcasts uh, on, on topics of shamanism i just wanted to ask alex and uh what would be um practical tips finding a mentor for example or getting into shamanism uh, obviously there's no one way but i'd love to uh, get into it myself
0: well uh I, I i would suggest that well the teacher will always appear so uh i don't necessarily think you need to look for a teacher or anything like that uh, if if uh, if there is a teacher that wants you as a student, uh, it will appear. But you also don't need, I mean, it can help, but you can also do it on your own. And, and in my case, I don't have a, a, really a human teacher. I have many different indigenous uh, shamans that I often call like my indigenous mom or dad or brother, you know, more like family members because uh, I'm so connected to them. Uh, but my teacher is the plants. So, uh, and the plants you can grow yourself. So if you want a, a teacher, a plant teacher, you can easily get that. I guess would be my suggestion. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, sometimes we have to be reminded of these
4: simple, uh, simple truths that the uh, teacher will appear. So yeah, that helps because you know with, with me uh, sometimes overthinking gets in the way, but it's it's so simple. So I, I appreciate you rem- reminding me of that. And uh, yeah, I look forward to listening to your podcast episodes. On thanks again.
1: So now we're going to Shaman Safford. Hello. I, I, wanna, I
6: also want to second the thanks for your guest for appearing. I look forward to uh, checking out the uh, cast. I thought I would address two things about what's left my time, uh, the warmness uh, that he addressed on Rush ayahuasca versus, you know, some bull or something. Uh, one of the uh, concepts is similar Uh, I do reference Hinduism uh, many times because I draw from many, many different traditions. But Hinduism thinks of this in terms of the vitality of your food. So, for instance, a fresh-cooked meal in front of you has far more vitality to it than leftovers. and They'd have more than, say, in the can, and that's why that appeal of food is is, so primally deep there, and ayahuasca fresh, the entire ritual and everything that goes around it is like having an entire meal versus just a vitamin tells you, or a pill tells you what meal should um, The other thing I wanted to uh, address was, uh, 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 Alex, you had mentioned you had seen a serpent. I mean, I'm sorry, it's versus the serpent. immediately resonates with me because I have seen the serpent, uh, Quetzalcoatl. Uh, and the two are inextricable together in at least, Aztec uh, mythology in fact looking into the history of the tribes I don't want to take up the rest of the, the time on that but you might check that out actually if you uh, uh, if you're interested there's a book Flight of the Feathered Serpent I believe it's called, uh, I believe it's by uh, Joseph Campbell, I don't know if he's in relation to the Monomyth or not, but you might check that out it goes into some of the, uh, uh, history of uh, qu- qu- Feathered Serpent versus Tezcatlipoca, the the jaguar or Smoking Mirror, any Anyway, I will, uh, I will
1: bow out again. Thank you so much for having us this subject and everything. I have to say, thank you very much for a wonderful four hours, Alex, and everybody else who's been contributing uh, with all the knowledge that's been going on. I'm looking forward to doing this again in further detail when we pick some really deep topics there. I'm sure you're saying the same thing, Ian. Thanks again, Alex. That was absolutely fantastic. Um, what you did tonight and um, yeah thank you everybody else for contributing to it as well it's been an absolutely brilliant night and I've uh, really appreciated a lot of the things that you've you've all been talking about so uh, again thank you very much
0: go to perceptionstoday.com to check out uh, the full Twitter Space recording or uh, if you want to check out the other Twitter Space recordings that you can find over there as well I'm going to close with Curandero Jorge's uh, Icaro, El Canto de Tongoro Sacha remixed by Yuin Husami. I'll leave links to you, Yuin Husami's album of remixed Icaros in the program notes. And if you want to find out more about uh, his work, check out episode three, where he talks about making that album with Shipibo Icaros. And yes, that episode, episode three, was about 10 years ago. Uh, You know, the march of time is relentless. I'll see you all soon in the next episode. Now, please sit back and think about your existence while you listen to this track. Uh, Don't skip it. Don't turn this podcast off and do something else. uh, You know, listen to the song. That's why it's there. It's for your enjoyment. Freedom is in the mind. She